This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to AHP. Thanks for joining me. Do appreciate your time. All the donators, sponsors, thank you very much for listening to the show. All the people that sent me emails and subscribe via iTunes. Thank you very, very much. On today's show, I'm talking with the Foul Talkers, Sav Manjin. Now, you might remember Sav was on the show for episode 39 where we talked about basic duck hunting techniques. So today we're going to get into more advanced duck hunting techniques of decoy displays, loads, shotguns, scouting and how important scouting is when you actually want to go out and find specific areas to hunt, how to approach people, how to approach farmers, what to do. This is a fantastic podcast, and Sav and the Foul Talkers do a fantastic job with Jacob and Justin in representing waterfowlers here in this country, and have put the spotlight on waterfowling, how fun it can be to get your own meat, how fun you know, hunting with a shotgun is, and bird hunting. It's just absolutely fantastic. I uh, hope you guys enjoy this show, so without further ado, let's get into my interview with today's guest, uh, Advanced Duck Hunting with the Foul Talkers, Sav Manjin. This is Sav Manjin from the Fowl Talkers, and we're here to talk waterfowl hunting, and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Sav Manjin, welcome again to the Australian Hunting Podcast, mate. Thanks for joining me again. We're going to talk about some advanced duck hunting techniques, mate. Welcome again. Thanks, Jason. It's good to be back. Um, I was back in my brain a little bit before, actually trying to think when the last time we caught up was, and I think it's been a fifth while, so thanks for having us back. It's been a long time coming. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, it's been, I think it was uh, episode 39 back in sometime in, we released it in July of 2013, so Matt's just been just over three years, mate, long time, no talk. It has been. It has been. A lot's been going on in that time, I guess, and I mean, you're up to, well, this is episode 139, is it? 130. You'll be 130, I think, mate. 130, so... Well, there you go. A lot has happened in this time. So, um, yeah, we've, <laughs> we've done a little bit since then. We've released our first DVD. Um, that was on February 2014. So, uh, yeah, a little bit after the, the first interview. And then um, just this March gone in, in 2016, we released our second DVD. So, yeah, a little bit has been going on. Exactly, mate. Okay, well, while we're doing that, we might as well do it. Give us a plug. You want to sell the products. You've got duck calls. Tell us what you've got to offer first and where they can go and purchase some of those products. Yeah, sure. Look, um, I guess we've got a range of products in terms of um, Australian duck hunting, I guess, in more, more in terms of hunter accessories because, and that's just by virtue of us doing these DVDs, people started asking what we do and how we use them and, and what products are. So um, all of that stuff, look, we've got a network of dealers in Victoria, um, obviously, because in Victoria, duck hunting is um, much more popular. In we've got, I think, twenty six thousand licensed duck hunters currently. Um, it's not a shade more than that. So we've got a range of gun uh, gun shops that stock our products. Um, you can see all those on our website, which is www.fowltalkers.com.au, um, and we've also got an online shop there, so they can also get their products off our uh, website, and it's got um, a range of delivery options and all that sort of thing. So that's that's basically where everything can be sourced from. And if they want to watch some cracking waterfowling, they can buy the DVDs, yeah? 
Yeah, there's there's both DVDs on there. The first one we did was um, It's an Obsession. I don't even think we had a name for it when, when we did our first interview, Jace, but um, It's an Obsession was the first DVD, and then the second DVD was um, was called Final Flight, and, and they're both available online and in gun shops. Yeah, let's hope Final Flight's not the last DVD, huh? <laughs> no, no. We had, we've been asked that question a fair bit um, by a lot of people that are concerned that that was going to be the end of it, and it wasn't... <laughs> it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't named that way uh, in that regard. To be honest, it was more in relation to like it being the final flight of a duck or the final flight the duck takes. Yeah, prior to coming into the decoy. So uh, that's where that came about. But yeah, it's funny <laughs> because you're not the first to ask. Nice man, man. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about the foul talkers first and what's happening. I guess since we last spoke uh, for episode thirty nine. Well, um, look, it's, it's still Justin, Jacob, and myself. Um, and basically, I guess where where all this started out was us wanting to do Australian duck hunting DVDs, um, just because there'd never been any sort of um, visual media on duck hunting. Um, and what better way to promote duck hunting, I guess, to not only Australians but the rest of the world than by using a visual media format such as a DVD. Um, and <clears throat> from there, we sort of it just sort of grew legs um, and went on to the different um, different paths. And so, you know, we had guys asking us what products we were using and then um, we had our own duck call, which we've released. And then, so amongst all of this, we've had, um, you know, two DVDs go out and a range of products. And then, you know, the gun shops want to get on board because people start enjoying the duck hunting and, you know, we've had people turn around to us and say that, you know, if it wasn't for our DVDs and YouTube clips that they would never have got into duck hunting. And and that was really what it was about right at the start and still is to this day in terms of promoting duck hunting. And I guess the biggest strength for duck hunters is to have more duck hunters. And the easiest way to convert people into duck hunters is if they're firstly a hunter of some sort. So it's, a, it's about really us showing people the way that we like to hunt ducks, um, which I guess if you break it down is really trying to outsmart the animal with the use of calls and um, and decoys, and then trying to I guess encourage more people to to adapt to that style and and take up duck hunting in that manner. Absolutely, mate. And you're saying the guys involved they have specific tasks. Tell us about the guys that are involved and what they do, or you're all in it together, just doing the same thing, or oh look, we all sort of mix and match. To be honest. Um, there's Jacob and Justin. We all we all film equally, um, and the reason, I guess, you can't just go and hire a uh, a cameraman for a day because the person behind the camera needs to understand waterfowl and be able to pick up the signs of what duck is coming to the camera um, at, any, at any one time. So all three of us, I mean, none of us are, are videographers um, by any means. Jacob's pretty handy with a with a SLR and can take some um, some great still shots, but None of us are qualified videographers, so we're all sort of learnt on the job, and I think that's probably one thing that sort of improves between it's an obsession and final flight um, in terms of our our own skills behind the camera. Um, but in that regard, everyone everyone sort of mixes and matches and, and shares duties, and you know, in a, in a regulation season, it's ten birds a day per person, so we rotate that through the through the guns and, and once a person gets their bags and they're on the camera and, and that's how it works. 
Exactly, mate. There's nothing worse, I think. I'd, I'd feel sorry for the for the guy, poor guy on the camera, if you just have an absolute bumper day on either the Ducks or like you're in Victoria, say, or Northern Territory or the South Australia, depending on where you're hunting, or if you're on the rice fields of New South Wales and you just get a crack and night and you've been lumped to the uh, camera. That kind of sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like we have a, a bit of a joke between us. That, and it, in the first season, like, when, we, when we did it to the session, it was Justin. As soon as he'd get on, he'd get, get out from behind the camera and start shooting, the, the Ducks would just stop. And it was a bit of a running joke, and then, um, and then, as luck would have it, I tended to cop it when we were doing final flights. So, um, so yeah, we do have that bit of running joke going on. It is harder when, um, you know, when there's a, a better flight in the morning. Um, yeah, that person will tend to to get less opportunity, I guess, than than the other two. But then, the upside of that is when they are shooting, um, sometimes they'll have all those birds at the end to themselves because the other bloke's bagged out and he's just helping there in a. In a court, um, in a calling sort of support role, so so yeah, it's um, there's good and bad in both, but definitely you, uh, I do prefer to be on the gun first thing in the morning as opposed to behind the camera. I'll give it to you that way. Yeah, exactly. Mate, I've seen, I think I've seen on Facebook, um, Jacob's taken up a bit of a uh, passion here and there for deer hunting as well. I've seen, I think what I saw on one of his Facebook pages, he went out one of his first times with his 3006 and cracked a deer. And I'm like, man, I think I'm three and a half years in and I've had a couple of opportunities, but I've never laid one on the ground yet. So. He's is a lucky fella. We'll put it <laughs> for one of a better term, and there's probably a whole heap of other words I could call him. Um, <laughs> but he is very good. He, he is very lucky with that sort of thing. But he he puts in um, a lot of effort as well. And in so far as research, like you know, before he'll go out, that before that first trip where he went out, he, he would have spoken to you know countless numbers of people and and researched as much as he could. Um, and so when he went out there, you know, I mean, we, we tell him it's luck, but there is an element of skill to it as much as, <laughs> as much as I wouldn't like to say, but he's the same with fish as well. And, um, you know, he's, he's persistent. And I think that's one of the qualities that makes for a good duck hunter. Definitely. Yeah. I know you guys probably shoot clays and that to get your eye in as well. Who's the best shooter out of all three? Who, who normally can pretty much rack them in? Um, look, we, we take it in turns to be, to be honest, like we've all had, in, in double A. Um, it's staying in there. It's the hard part at the moment. Jacob's in there. Um, I missed out on double A last time by a target. So, you know, we, we all have it in turns. And, um, yeah, it's, I guess, play targets can be a little bit different from my point of view because it's, it's one of those things that unless you're going fairly consistently, um, the trickier targets and, and the exotic targets I tend to struggle with. So if I'm going consistently, then then it's all well and good. But then if I don't pick up the gun for six months um, on a clay target, then I'll struggle a little bit. So I guess that's, that's the biggest thing, consistency being key. Would you like to advertise on one of the most tech-savvy mediums on the internet? Then why don't you advertise with us on the Australian Hunting Podcast? If you have a product or business that you would like to promote, then we would love to hear from you. Become one of our partner advertisers by calling Jason on 0425 881 967 or email australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. 
If you're heading for the bush soon, don't. The Double S Double A Shot Expo is coming to Perth with hunting gear from the world's biggest brands, the latest optics and hunting gear from Europe, USA and Australia, and four-wheel drive accessories. The Double S Double A Shot Expo just keeps getting bigger. Claremont Showgrounds, Perth, October 22nd and 23rd. Supported by Swarovski, Winchester and ATN Night Vision. Book online or pay on the day. Visit shotexpo.com.au. Yeah, exactly. I want to talk about that too because I notice when I go down the rice fields, um, been a few, been many years, probably since about four or five years since I've been down in Victoria, I think maybe a little bit longer, probably 2011 I think I was down there. And there's a big difference obviously between shooting say clay targets you know which is sort of you know because I shoot a lot of field and game uh, sporting clays five stand whatever you'd like to call it what differences do you think there are between I mean obviously birds coming in at different angles birds coming from over your head yeah you do get those sort of simulated targets but you sort of know where they're coming from but obviously ducks can be you know they can be uh, you just don't know where they're going to come from so do you think it's a lot different and what can people do to be guess to become better duck hunters you can only do so much, you know, clay target shooting. So what do you recommend when they're actually coming up the, uh, to hunt ducks, rice fields down in Victoria? What can they do to sort of, you know, get their eye in, but also be more confident in shooting ducks where it's not sort of a, a pre-regulated system? Mm. Look, I think, um, I think there's no substitute for clay targets, to be honest. And, and in saying that, um, and I'm not a huge clay target shooter, but, um, in my view, shooting clay targets regularly um, or semi-regularly even allows you to develop a better gun mount and a more consistent gun mount. Um, and so it's not so much the actual leading of the target because your, your hand-eye coordination is in charge of all of that. But I guess the biggest difference that I see with clay targets is that ultimately there is an effect of gravity on those targets. So as much as a springing teal may be on the rise, eventually it's going to come crashing down to earth, whereas a duck doesn't feel the effect of gravity um, in flight. So I guess, you know, depending on the line of the clay target, you might have to be under the target in terms of lead lead below or shoot below the target, whereas with ducks, unless it's actually coming into land and it is descending, um, then you'll shoot below, below the bird. Um, so one thing I've always said is that clay target shooting will make you a better duck shot for the reason that you will get your mount consistency and your swinging um, and, and those sort of, I guess, um, those practices in place of swinging through a target and keeping the gun moving and not stopping and not looking at your barrel. So, you know, as, as shooting the actual target, like shooting a springing teal isn't necessarily going to make you a great duck shot, but the mounting of the gun and all the all the other things that take place to to break that target, whether you hit or miss, um, will will help you in the field, in my opinion. Absolutely. Now, how I've done this before, I think we all have. We get really excited. We see a flock coming in, or we, sometimes we don't see a flock coming in. They just turn up right in front of us. We tend to sometimes, and I think you've probably done it, we've all done it, shooting into the flock, not picking out a target because you just get zoned in, you want to shoot, and you eventually hit none of them how do we stop that happening how do we calm down and pick out our targets and how should we select our targets well look there's um yeah <laughs> it happens to everyone <laughs> and, and just to and, me more often <laughs> yeah and and it's it's just one of those things that if you're faced with a large number of birds there's there's 
two things that I see there is that you don't know which bird to pick out or there's just too many and you can't pick a bird out. Um, and so in those situations, yeah, inevitably shooting into a flock um, does, again, two things. You either miss clean or you'll wound a bird um, just for the fact that, I mean, well, they say if you plan, if you, if you fail to plan, you'll, you'll plan to fail. And it's the same thing. If you don't pick a bird, how can you hit a target? So there's a, a few things in this. Um, also, when, you, when you're shooting into flocks, then the chances of wounding a bird increase, and we want to try and reduce that altogether. So the best thing, um, and I've seen it done multiple times, people that pick a bird, generally, if the birds are that tight, will hit two or three. Um, and surprisingly, most of the time, those other two, uh, one or two birds will be fairly cleanly dead. Um, the other thing is, though, and, and this is the way I like to, to shoot, purely because when there's a year, and, and this is speaking from a Victorian background, that is, um, you know, we've just come out of a, a season where there was a four-bird bag, I would always shoot towards the, the trailing end of a flock. So I would pick out a single bird, but not a single bird in front and not a single bird surrounded by other birds, but I try to pick off a bird that is towards the rear or on the trailing edge, um, and I take that bird out because I don't want to shoot at one and knock another two or three with it, and that's my bag for the day. I want to pick which birds I want to shoot and and make every shot count, if that makes sense. Yeah, does that, so do, does, that, that does that change from, say, where you've got bag limits, like, say, in Victoria or other states around Australia, compared to what you would do, say, if you're on the rice fields, or that's just instinct? No, it's it's just instinct for me, to be honest. Like, even shooting on, on the rice, I still like to pick out a bird because I know, I know for a fact that if you just shoot into a flock, you're not gonna, you're, you're more likely to miss altogether than you are to kill something. So even if I'm shooting on the rice and there is a flock of birds, I'll still pick out a bird towards the trailing end. And, and for the same reason as well, that ultimately you still don't want to have wounded birds. Um, so, you know, you keep that in mind. If you can dispatch them quickly or you've got the dog, um, and you can get them back, then no issues. But um, but like I said, by by my experience, you're more likely to kill more birds by singling out one than you are by just firing into the flock. Yeah, exactly. Good point, mate. You mentioned before, which is very, very good, and how important this is, uh, scouting, mate. Let's talk a little bit about scouting. I know, I know some guys that are just petrified to, to go up to a farmer and say, hey, can I hunt on your property? Have you got ducks on it? Whatever it may be, some dam busting. It could be you know, rice fields up in New South Wales. How do people scout and what do they need to do and how should they present themselves, say, when going up to a farmer or someone that's got a bit of land to ask either for permission uh, to, to, to hunt on their land? Look, I think um, you can sort of split this question two ways. And we'll probably, we'll probably follow down this path like for most of the interview, to, to be honest. And the thing that I see is um, hunting on the rice in New South Wales and hunting in Victoria are two distinct, um, I guess, entities, if you like. So by shooting on... Let's start with the rice. It's always going to be easier to get permission to go and hunt on a farmer's property because the ducks are causing him damage. Um, and he wants... I mean, ultimately, they're eating into his income and and his livelihood. So um, I guess it's always important that you, you pass the attitude test, and that's just being a reasonable person 
But if any sort of if you if you're just reasonable with a rice farmer and you you're knocking door knocking on doors and you're going and seeing them, um, if you if you're a genuine reasonable person, they're gonna they're gonna let you on, um, especially if they've got ducks. If they even if they haven't got ducks, a lot of the times they're, they're gonna let you on, and it's up to you to decide whether you want to shoot there or not after that. But um, so that's that's the biggest factor in in New South Wales. Provided they've got their licences and your licence and everything else, and all those boxes are ticked, um, you know, they're, they're rarely going to knock you back. And, I mean, I have been knocked back before on the rice for the reason that they had other shooters there. And, and you respect that um, that decision because you would hope that the same thing is accorded to you if you were hunting on that property. So, you know, that that's one thing in New South Wales. But, I mean, the, the main thing with the rice is just be a, a genuine or, or reasonable sort of person. Um, don't fail the attitude test, and, and I dare say you're pretty right to get on. Um, if the farmers have got issues with ducks, they'll they'll take you on with open arms. Um, in in Victoria, or I guess shooting on on dams or or gaining private property access, um, that can be a little bit trickier, and and for a variety of reasons. They've either had bad experience with hunters in the past. Um, they uh, they might be new owners, and they're not familiar with um, or comfortable with people hunting on their property and I guess thirdly is they've got existing hunters that hunt on their property so all you can really do is ask um, there's there's no love lost there if you, if you ask a place it's always good to be, be confident and you know do the right thing by the farmer and, and ask them for permission first because um, the worst they can do is say no and again I I personally um like to to go and visit farmers without any sort of camo. Um, I don't like to be fully camouflaged up head to toe. Um, you know, a camo hat and, and everything else is fine, but it, it's more, you don't know the person who you're talking to and you don't want to get them off on the wrong foot. And, and they will essentially judge you straight away based on the minute you get out the car. So, um, so that's a little bit tricky, but, you know, it comes down, like I mentioned it earlier in, it's about persistence, um, persistence in hunting and persistence, I guess, with trying to get um, onto properties as well. But you, ultimately, you respect their decision and, you know, some some farmers you can keep in touch with um, and, and some property holders you can keep in touch with and, and it might be a, a thing that takes on, you know, it might take one or two years, but uh, there's also other property owners that you're going to go and speak to that don't want to have anything to do with you. And... Um, yeah, you respectfully drive out the driveway and, and don't, don't return. So, um, I mean, it's, it, it is just, as far as I'm concerned, it's simple logic and, um, and, and being reasonable in, in approaching these people. Absolutely, man. Well, hopefully we're going to have a bumper rice season or shooting on the rice this year. We're probably coming up in the next month to month and a bit where we start gearing up. We're probably gearing up now, actually. You know, what's the water been like uh, raining down in Victoria? I've seen a couple of the Facebook pages, you know, the lakes and, and the swamps are filling up. Uh, one yep. of my farmers that I go to down in the rice fields, he said literally it's been been raining one to two days a week. Uh, it's just crazy mm-hmm. down there at the moment. So what are you seeing, A, down there in Victoria, and what are you hopefully going to see up here in southern New South Wales uh, come the next four to six weeks on the rice fields? Yeah, okay. So um, like in terms of uh, Victoria, it, it's, it's been phenomenal. <laughs> Basically nothing short of phenomenal. I would say it's the best off-season we have had um, ever that I've, that in, in my time 
uh, or my career hunting ducks. Um, and I would even say, yes, I mean, you know, duck hunters in Victoria talk about 2011 and 2010 because that was when we had those masses of water go through Kerrang in the northwest and every swamp in Kerrang was full and every swamp in, um, in the northwest of the state was full. But what we've, what we've had this off-season, and it, it's literally been probably since, uh, really, um, mid-June, I guess end of June is when it sort of started, We've had the southeast of the state, so Gippsland's gone underwater, um, and everything's full down there. You've got the northeast of the state, which caught the first bit of flooding, uh, and that put a, water, a, a lot of water into, into the red gum swamps and, and timbered swamps that the northeast is sort of renowned for, which had previously been dry. Um, Gippsland wasn't so dry, basically, in, um, in, in, well, in this season just gone. But then if you go across to the southwest of the state, um, we have lakes down there, like Lake Colac, for example, was dry this year for the second time since European settlement. That is now, uh, well, estimated to be 50% full, probably 90% coverage um, in terms of lake bed, but 50% full because it is quite deep. Um, but it's fuller than I've seen it in recent years. Um, lake Murderduke, it used to be a, a premier trout fishery. Um, and this is back in the 90s, it would have been. Um, that dried out this year. Well, they're talking about restocking that one now because she's just about full. So, I mean, the southwest um, this year has had a lot more water than what they had in 2011, and that's why I'm saying this has been a better off-season, if you like, than, than 2010 and 11. Um, now, we've also got water going into Lake Bullock, which is arguably the mecca of, of duck hunting in Victoria, um, and there's water going into the marshes, um, and Baobal, so Kerrang isn't missing out either. So it's really the whole state has sort of has copped a good drink. And I'm actually going to go for a bit of a drive tomorrow with Jacob and jump in the car and go see for ourselves where all the water is and, and how it's looking and shaping up for us. Um, but that's like that's Victoria. And then to be honest, all that northeast flooding was driven by the Murray, um, and the Murray's been in flood. And so as a result of that, the Riverina is has seen an influx of water on top of all the rain that they've had and I've spoken to farmers um, you know, in the lead up to this rice season and I've got farmers that would usually be sowed, um, they would have sowed their rice in by the end of September, they still haven't even worked up their ground, they just simply cannot get on their paddocks um, with their tractors to work up the ground, it's that wet. Um, other guys that I've been speaking to, the guys that run a few sheep here and there, they're suffering from foot rot. It, I mean, that's just a sign of how wet it is. They, they need dry ground um, for their sheep, but they just can't find any. So their sheep are, are suffering foot rot, um, actually pumping water off their wheat paddocks. So, you know, this time of year, usually they'd be finishing off their wheat and putting water on uh, and just lightly irrigating it. Now they're pumping water out because there's all this water there and, and it's basically drowning. So, um, yeah, the, the, the differences between... This year and, and last year, and, and this year compared to even a normal year, is, is phenomenal. It's just been unbelievable this year. But, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things. You look at the, the price of water, it was $300 a megalitre last year. Well, this year it's down around 100 I think, at last I heard. So, you know, it's, it's a 66% reduction. It's, it's huge. I mean, it's, it's good, good for farming, in, in my opinion, in terms of what it's going to set up for the next couple of years. Um, but it's also, you know, it's great for ducks. 
it's the the breeding that's going on in New South Wales and Victoria is is through the roof. And and these sort of breeding events, which is really, I mean, we haven't even talked about Queensland and South Australia and the floods that have gone through there. But Lake Eyre is holding water. Um, the Cooper and the Peru rivers uh, and the Dimitina systems in Queensland, they're all like, that's all duck breeding factory um, areas up there. And that's <laughs> sort of, you know, all of that sort of stuff is underwater too. So the result of all this is just going to be phenomenal numbers of ducks. Like, I don't, I, I don't think I've, I'd like to say that I've never seen anything like what we may see in next year and 2018. Yeah, but how does that affect water? That's a very interesting question. Obviously, in Victoria, obviously, you know, the swamps and those areas filling up is absolutely fantastic. Uh, it gives them yeah. extra breeding areas, obviously. But a lot of people talk about that, especially on the rice fields. When it gets dry, you know, birds may stay where they are on, you know, because they're guaranteed water. You know, how is it going to affect, especially the more so the rice hunting being wet? I mean, let's say they do so. Would birds necessarily be attracted to those areas more if it was drier or if it's more wet? And how do we know? Like, basically, how do we know where to hunt? Some people are saying, "Well, yeah, we've got a lot of water," but again, the birds might stay where they are in Victoria or up in Queensland or South Australia or wherever they're hanging out right now because there's you know there's food, there's lots of water. Why move onto these other southern areas of New South Wales? Uh, obviously, there's new areas in Victoria, which is probably going to be great for Victorian duck hunters down there. Fantastic. But how do we know we're going to get them into these areas? Look, I think this is, and this is where you sort of have to look at it from uh, a long-term view as well. Like, so I, I sort of look at it in this way. Um, there'll be ducks all through eastern Australia and even Lake Eyre. In the, in the centre of Australia and South Australia and parts as well. So there's going to be ducks everywhere. Um, I dare say in the Riverina there is ducks everywhere and I've heard it on good authority that there's, you know, huge numbers of ducks, not not in, in large mobs, but basically what we've got is ducks breeding everywhere in the country at the moment. Um, so as a bit of like anecdotal sort of evidence, before the rains really had come through and, and filled up a lot of the the forests and swamps and, and that sort of country, there was a lot of ducks um, seen on storage dams and turkey nest dams and all that sort of thing um, in the Riverina. Now, as soon as these forests started to fill up, the ducks off the storage dams left. And the reason for that is, like you, like you, you said earlier, um, you know, there's better options for them. So there's more feed in a forest and a swamp and the ecology is better than what's on a farmer's storage dam. Um, that being said, floodwaters will, they may not hold. I mean, if they're not depressions and, and ultimately there's a creek or a river running through, at some point that flood water is going to recede. Um, in terms of my view on, on what would happen and, and I guess where you sort of set up, for me, this, this rice season, I'll be trying to find farmers' properties that are as close as possible to um, a natural water source. And natural water source, I mean, yeah, rivers, creeks, um, flood water, basically natural flood water. Um, and the reason for that is, well, yeah, there's not a chance, well, how can I say this? There's, you're not guaranteed the ducks are going to go and eat the rice. But if you are hunting an area that is closer to where ducks are currently, then your chances have automatically increased that you're going to see more traffic through those ducks flying through. So, and it's only a matter of, you know, once they've got a taste for it, 
Um, and once they they have found a rice bay that you know that they um, understand that there there's feed there and it's an easy meal, um, then that's when the farmer starts to have issues because those ducks will continue to um, to to cause him damage. So if the ducks don't find the rice, then all well and good, and they'll stay in the forest or stay in the flood um, and and do what they need to do. But um, as soon as they find that rice, and that's a risk you have because the more ducks you have in an area, the more they're going to be flying around and the more likely they are to find your rice bays, which are essentially man-made swamps. So um, so it, there, isn't a, there isn't a silver bullet, pardon the pun, on that in yeah. terms of, of, of where you go. Um, but for me, it's definitely trying to be as close as you can to uh, a natural sort of water source. Yeah. Um, that being said, you know, they've, they've changed the regulations within... Um, the rice mitigation season, so you can hunt um, water storages and natural water bodies that are covered under the rice farmer's permit uh, on the basis that those ducks will ultimately be eating the rice um, of a night time. So, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword in that regard. If you're hunting a farmer's property and he does have that, that sort of natural water source on his place, then um, if you don't get the ducks on the rice, you can, you can get them on there if they exist, but um, you sort of get one with the other. Yeah, mate, let's get into the meat and potatoes, shotguns and that. I'm not sure. I think I saw one of you. Do you shoot a Beretta or a Miracu have you got? Which one or both? I, I shoot I shoot a Miracu um, and the boys shoot Berettas. So we're yeah, a little bit mixed on that, but, uh, you know, we're always <laughs> with each other. Yep. Mate, favourite duck species to hunt, what is it? Uh, I'll take a black duck any day of the week. Why? Why in particular? Um, I think it's purely for, for their responsible their responsiveness to the duck call, um, but also the the challenge that they can provide because when they do commit to a duck call and, and lock up and come into the decoys, they absolutely scream in. But it's not they're not easy to get to um, to respond to a duck call. So you know when you do hit it right and and they do respond, they're awesome to watch. But you know it does take a bit of um, uh, I wouldn't even say it's skill. I'd say just persistence in terms of trying to get them to, to, to commit. Yeah, I remember this one, Tom, was last year. Was it last year? I think yeah, it might have been or the year before. All of a sudden, we were looking around. There was nothing on the rice fields. Then, mate, one just come in, like literally like an F-18 Hornet or whatever it is, like a missile. And then we just saw it at the last second. There was two of them, uh, wings pinned back. I mean, tell me what, there's nothing There's nothing like it, is there? No, you can't You can't beat it. And um Oh, when you see them just like rocket out of the sky like that, you know it's it, it, it still takes my breath away. I mean, and and that's really that's the magic for me in duck hunting. Um, you know, I love I love getting out there and pulling the trigger, but working birds, um, you know, getting birds. I, I call it like selling the illusion, if you like, where you know you're trying to convince that duck that he wants to be where you are, that your decoy is where he's got to be at. Um, that to me, that that fooling the bird, I guess that's the aspect of the game that I really love. Um, and when you see them respond to to a call or your decoy spread, um, you know, and you, you feel like you've outsmarted that animal, it's great. But when when they commit so hard and so quickly, it just sets it up another notch again for me. Looking for outdoor equipment for your next adventure? At Aussie Outdoor Gear, you can find cooking equipment, camo clothing for kids, backpacks, camo accessories and much more. We cater for your hunting, fishing, 
camping, hiking and other outdoor pursuits with our unique product range. AussieOutdoorGear.com.au Quality gear at affordable prices. Do you have dull, blunt or badly sharpened knives that couldn't skin a cat? At Scary Sharp, we use a multi-step grinding system and will hand sharpen your blades to a precise edge. Our process of sharpening knives will have your blades splitting hairs for a surprisingly low cost. Not only do we sharpen knives, but we also sharpen scissors, clippers, garden tools, arrowheads, axes or anything that holds an edge. We are located close to Canberra and we also have a mail-in service. Visit Scary Sharp on Facebook or call Bob on 0410 432 852 and find out how we can meet your sharpening needs. Scary Sharp. If it cuts, we can sharpen it. Oh, it does too, mate. Let's talk about, I guess, shotgun gauges. Uh, what do you guys use? Do you consider anything other than the 12? And also, uh, there's a lot of conjecture about different loads to use. So let's go from one, both the, obviously, Victorian standpoint, obviously, when you can't use uh, a lead shot, and obviously, and on the rice fields. Because Sean's got a question here. I saw it on your page. He says, steel shot size and what brand said he still baffles him after multiple people explaining. He goes, coming from a pistol and rifle background, it seems like a black art. What size and weight should he use? Uh, he mainly shoots over decoys off Reedy Lake, uh, black duck and teal mainly. So let's talk about gauges and obviously loads for both, you know, Victoria, South Australia, NT hunting and obviously on the rice fields, mate. Yeah, look, um, probably a little bit hard to comment on on geese um, in Northern Territory for me personally, just because I haven't um, haven't done any of that up there. So I don't want to, um, you know, I, I'd just be talking theory, I guess, and I'd rather talk <laughs> practical. But in terms of, um, okay, so... In terms of gauges, look, for, for ducks, we all shoot 12 gauge. Um, there's a couple of things. I guess it's just what we've always used, but it can be, a, you can be a bit more restricted in terms of finding steel ammo, um, in sub gauges. So, you know, in a, in a 20, um, or a 410. So, you know, that's obviously a 410 is, is not ideal. Um, 20, I've seen people use 20s, but I personally like a 12. Um, so that's and, and Jacob and Justin are the same. Jake, um, Justin uses a twenty gauge on quail, um, and two reasons: because it's, it's lighter uh, when you're walking through paddocks and, and walking all day, but also because um, you know a smaller bird and you don't need um, you know that that shot charge that you get with a twelve gauge, I guess. Um, so in terms of ducks, it's twelve gauge, and then when it comes to um, to steel. I guess in Victoria. Look, I mean, I've, I've downsized. If you played, if you, well, I, I can't remember exactly, but <laughs> I, I, it, it might have been it might have been three years ago when we did our last interview that I, I was talking about downsizing, and you know, I went down to um, to thirty two gram threes since then, and now I'm sort of shooting thirty two gram fours, um, and and you know, for, for the type of hunting that I do, which is decoy work, um, you don't need a lot more than that when it comes to um, when it comes to hunting over decoys and, and using steel. Um, you know, if you're shooting ducks at 20 to 30 metres, um, they don't need to be loaded up with, with the biggest and the best. Um, sure as hell don't need, you know, 40 grams of the stuff. Um, and, you know, maybe I'm getting softer in the old age. I don't like the recoil of a 36. Um, so it's a 32 for me. And, you know, if I was 
purely shooting teal over decoys, you know, now I'd start to look at even 32-gram fives. Um, and it depends how close that they are, because if I was shooting blackies real close over decoys, I'd be shooting five with, without any issues. As a as a guide, if I was to shoot lead on the rice, I'd probably shoot 32-gram fours and fives, whereas during the season, using steel, I'd shoot 32-gram three and fours. Yeah. So that's where... That, you know, that one size out, for me, makes a difference. But that being said, I mean, and and with everything that I've sort of said and will say as we're talking, it's not the be-all and end-all and the only way to do things. It's just what sort of works for me and, and the way I like to hunt. So I'm not saying that, you know, I know guys that have shot shot ducks with, um, with fives and sixes in steel. So, and it works for them. It, it is really down to... Um, to what you like to use, and conversely, I've shot 28 gram sixes on the rice coming into dusk when they're flying a lot closer, and the kill rates with those have been phenomenal. But during the day, they just don't seem to have the the lethality out at a greater distance because the ducks are obviously got a higher chance of seeing you. Absolutely, mate. What about chokes? Let's go both chokes over decoys. Uh, you know, I guess we'll do chokes over decoys, you know, sort of pass shooting and same thing on the rice, what chokes you're using, one over decoys and obviously, you know, just in case, you know, you might be pass shooting or you might get some ones that don't commit, what are you, what sort of chokes are we using? Yeah, look, I, I'm probably, I buck the trend a little bit, to be honest. I, I leave the same chokes in, in my gun all year round. Um, <laughs> have, I, you, have you pulled I, them out? They're not rusted in there, are they? Or? <laughs> no, they're not rusted in there. I, I do I do turn them, give them a, a few half turns at the start of any session just to make sure they're not. Yeah. But I, I basically run a half and a full choke. Um, and they're chokes that can withstand. It's a full choke that can withstand steel. Um, and I basically use those chokes in the gun all the time, whether I'm shooting clay targets and 28 grams, seven and a half, or I'm shooting... Um, lead on the rice while I'm shooting steel during the Victorian season. Um, I, I just leave the same chase in there. Which one? Which one's shooting first, mate? You got the full or the half shooting first? I'm shooting the half first and the full second, on the basis that your second shot is usually, you know, taken at a bird that's going away. Then, um, but that being said, no. And, and this is this is the thing: if you're decoying birds, um, you know, and, and you get a decent flock come in and they're about to commit, and you get up and, and you, you flare them at that point, then they're sort of, the second shot will sometimes be closer than the first. So, and that's where I don't, I try not to get my head too involved in, in the choke aspect. Um, I'd rather just be consistent with what I use, and, and that way, you know, it's one less thing that can get in my mind and start casting doubt over my shooting ability, because that's probably the biggest thing, is... Um, confidence and and just having your head screwed on in terms of knowing and having faith in, in the in the gear that you've got and what you're using. Absolutely. I mean, I remember, I think it was on the rice, like 2011, I was shooting into flocks and I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't know why I'm not, I'm missing, I'm using a full choke. Then people say decoys, I should use improved cylinder. I got more confused than when I put an improved cylinder and a half choke in, they, they didn't want to commit. I mean, it's just crazy. You're probably right, mate. But what are some some shooters? This has happened to me on the rice fields. I'm just going to go from my point of view. You probably had it down there in Victoria and on the rice. I'm sitting on the rice bay. Now, ducks are coming in. I'm seeing them. They're flying in. And 
and they're flaring off. What am I doing wrong? Yes, we're in camo. We carry as less stuff as possible. We might have, you know, a camouflage gun bag there with, you know, a couple of bags of shells or at least a little green, one of those little green ammo containers with loads in it, which sort of blends in anyway. But it happens a lot to me. It happens, I know it happens a lot to a lot of guys too. What am I doing wrong? What can I do better? And how are you generally setting up either over decoys uh, in Victoria or on the rice fields? You're just sitting behind the bays. Give us a bit of a rundown. Yeah, look, um, it's with so with the rice, it's probably um, it's more challenging because there, generally speaking, isn't a lot of cover on a rice bay. Ducks will flare um, basically because they've seen you or they've seen something that has put them off wanting to be where you are. So it can be, I know guys that will not have um, a shell floating in the water because they're convinced that the duck's going to see it and it's going to spook the duck and, and that's that. I'm probably not so, um, I guess, worried about a shell floating in the water. But um, any sort of... Um, there's a variety of things. It's movement, obviously, um, but often, and and it's not... It's, you start getting into the conversation here about camouflage and concealment. Um, the way... Uh, how can I say it? Concealment is almost about being unnoticed or, or making it so that you're, you're, you're unnoticed in your position. Um, so putting up, for example, a brown hessian sack in front of you that is six foot high um, and six foot wide, as much as it's going to conceal you, the shape of that hessian sack is going to be noticed because it's six foot high and six foot wide. So, um, and it could be the same colour, but if a duck is flying in at eye level, it is going to see that that is, in, in its mind, um, it's, it's something that doesn't belong. So it might be camouflage, but it's, it's, not, um, it's not natural, if you like. It's not what it's used to seeing. So something like that would cause a duck to flare. Um, and often, I, I dare say, in that sort of situation, it would flare, um, you know, probably anywhere between 150 metres out from your position. Um, the best thing I can say is, obviously, the, the lower the profile you have, the better. Um, and I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Like, it's all well and good to have a layout blind and, and set that out on the edge of a rice bay, but if that layout blind is black in colour, it's going to stand out. So having a low profile in itself isn't any good. It's, it's, a, it's a combination of things. It's having a low profile having camouflage to break up the outline. And that's essentially what camouflage does. It, it breaks up the outline so there's no solid lines of a product. Um, so low profile, break up the outline, and basically blend in. Um, they're the three things that that I sort of look to do in terms of concealment and camouflage. On the rice, um, if there is cover on the bays, then, and when I say cover, so if there's grass and weeds and sometimes the farmers poison that um, on the banks, then that's, that's great because you can um, sort of either sit in front or, or sit behind it. Um, and that's another issue as well. If you sit in front of it and the sun's in your face, then you're going to shine off that. So you try and sit behind that, that bit of scrub so that the sun doesn't, um, I guess, reflect off you and give you away. That's, that's what, the way I tackle it if there's cover on the rice base. If there isn't cover on the rice bays, and even when there is, I generally like to be behind 
the actual bank. Um, and when I hunt the rice, I like to hunt the middle. I don't like hunting the end base. Um, I like to get into the guts of the rice farm. Um, but I'll always sit behind the bank. And behind on the side of each rice bank, there is a little channel where they've dug out the ground um, to make that bank. So you can ultimately be on your knees um, in some of those channels and lie on your stomach facing forward and literally just have the top of your eye line above that rice bank and you can see what's coming into the decoys and you can see ducks and you don't have to be down in that position all the time but it's one of those things that when you see ducks um, and you want to try and, and work those birds into the decoy spread, then you get down into position, start calling, you can watch them, you've got your camouflage hat on which is going to break up your outline um, and you can still see them but they can't see you and that's what it's about. So where it gets tricky, if those ducks come from behind you, then just stay as still as you can. And hopefully they'll be back in front of you in no time to land in, land in the decoys. But um, as long as they're in front of you and coming towards you and you're behind that and pressed up right close to, to those banks, that's the way that, that we like to hunt on the rice. And the rice is, it, like I said, it's more challenging than, um, than trying to conceal yourself out in the swamp uh, or during a Victorian season, for example, where you can stand in the reeds and, and be well concealed by natural cover, but the, the rice um, can be some of the hardest to shoot. Yeah, so you won't, hunt the, you won't hunt sort of the end bays. You'll walk along, obviously, where the soil goes out towards the middle, hunt the middle bays. Because I know sometimes with me, it's just, you know, you've got to pull all your decoys out, walk probably, what, a good 80, 90 metres, you know, into the middle of the bays. You know, sometimes, yep. you know, a big fella like myself too, you've got to try and get into the water, into that, you know, that little dugout spot you said and kneel in there and spend the better part of two hours just kneeling in the water. Sometimes it can be pretty tough on the old yeah. knees, you know. It is, it is, and that's why, like, I'm the same, I'm a busy guy, you know, and, like, it hurts my knees to be on, on the hard stuff. If you if you keep your knees, I, I'm saying your knees are basically in the water, in the softer ground, so it's not too bad, that's a bit more comfortable for me. Yeah. Um, that's what I find, like, because you have to be as low as you can. Um, but, yeah, I, I like to hunt, well, you try to find, and, and the ducks generally have a bay that they prefer, um, and... That's something else we can talk about, I guess, is, is identifying which bays they they prefer. Um, but for mine, the whole thing about, you know, if you're on the end bay and a duck is coming, flying from land, it's going to hit the brakes and land in your bay without any real warning um, that it's coming up to water. Whereas if you're in the middle of the rice bay, and or, well, rice bay, I should say, in the middle of his rice block, you'll be hunting off the bank. But um, if you're in the middle of his rice block and the duck has come from a creek, which is two k's away, and it's flown, you know, 1,800 metres over land, it's got the last 200 metres over water, as soon as it hits the water, it's going to start looking for somewhere to land. But if you're in the middle, it's got a greater chance to slow down and get to you um, and land in your decoys. Whereas if you're on the end, it's going to be flying over land and then all of a sudden it's over water and you've got to try and get that bird to come back. So that's why I like being in the middle because wherever the ducks are coming from, you're sort of in the guts of it all. Um, and then I mentioned, you know, you try to identify which bays um, the ducks are hitting and that's, that's generally, that comes down to scouting, which is different, again, for the, for the rice as it is to um, the Victorian season. Um, but, you know, the... the the biggest thing I look for 
is what I call muddy water. Um, and it sounds, it, it is a little bit confusing, but when ducks have been feeding in a rice bay, um, the water is a lot dirtier than when they haven't been feeding in a rice bay. So as much as you get muddy water, and, and this is where it gets tricky, because if a farmer's laser leveled his crops um, or his, his, his rice bays, you will get a bit more um, turbidity in that water. But when a duck or a large number of ducks have been feeding in a rice bay, that water is really, really turbulent. Um, and that's where it's good to have a relationship with the farmer. So you can say, have you laser leveled or, you know, is there, can you tell me where the ducks have been hidden? Because until that rice comes up and you've got holes in, in the rice base to identify where the ducks are going to be or have been feeding, um, that's what it comes down to. So, you know, I like to be in the middle. If there's no indication of where the ducks are, then you'll always find me in the middle. But, um, and if, if, for example, the ducks are, uh, you know, I've seen that muddy water in, in one of the first bays, then I'll always hunt the bank that's got water on either side. So if I have to hunt the end bay, I'll always be one bank in as opposed to being on dry land. Yeah, exactly. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, because sometimes we've got out like the, you know, the little the duck blind, we've put it on the edge of a bay, and sometimes, mate, they're flown straight in and not worried about it, but uh, mm. other times, you know, I see them flaring off, sometimes we've sat, and I guess little too, it always depends, doesn't it? I mean, sometimes if there's not many birds coming in, sometimes going to the full effort, you know, getting right in the middle can be, you know, for three or four ducks may not be, you know, productive sometimes. But then again, if you've got a lot of ducks coming in and you know you're going to sort of smash them, well, or at least, you know, hope you're going to smash them that night, well, you know, maybe that's beneficial too. So I guess, you know, take it by year and, you know, like you said, take on those results and see, you know, if, what areas there, you know, they might be coming into those middle bays. So uh, when you're hunting, when you're hunting out on the rice chase, yeah, um, are you using. What sort of blind are you using? See, like sometimes you- we either, if we're on the end, or like you said, one bay in, we might kneel in the water one bay in. Um, mm. Other times I've hunted on the end. He said they're, they're smashing the end, so sometimes we'll just, which is like there's no water behind us, which can be a problem if ducks are coming from behind. They're just going to see you um, unless yep. it's sort of that twilight period. But, um, yeah, we, we hunt on the end. We might lie on the edge of the dirt, on the rice, and just, you know, have our mm. eyes just, you know, sort of on the eye line with, like, you know, guns sort of sitting on a, on a camouflage shotgun yeah. badge, sort of, you know, so you, don't, so you don't sort of screw up, you know, your wood on your shotgun yeah. sort of thing. Um, we've done that. We've taken on your advice, I think, from the last show, walking in, you know, throwing the decoys in, kneeling in the water. But one time we yeah, we probably did that last time about five or six times. Then my mate's like, oh, my God, my knee, my knee's like me too. So I sort of lie mm-hmm. on my stomach a little bit on the sort of, you know, on the side of the bay just to make sure, you know, take a bit of pressure off the knees. And we had actually pretty good results. It's probably one of our better hunts, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah. So that definitely worked. And um, But I want to ask you a question, too, on saying that. Let's talk about, and I sometimes use them, the, the duck spinner decoys. Some yeah. guys love them. Some guys reckon they flare off. You know, I've got ones that are sort of I've painted a little bit sort of a darker color. Uh, they're the, basically the, 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 the uh, pigeon decoys from the U.S. They're not even duck ones, but, hey, they still work. Uh, uh, what's yeah. your thoughts on the duck spinners, how many, and what sort of decoy spread if you're hunting in Victoria? And on the rice, how many decoys would you use? And obviously, again, yeah, the, the electronic duck decoys, what do you reckon? Yeah. Um, like spinning wings, they can be your best friend. Um, and they can be your worst enemy. It just like, and there's no hard and fast rule as to when they're going to be your friend or when they're going to be your enemy. It's it's literally one of those things that you take with you every time you go hunting, and you don't necessarily use. 
I'll always, we'll, we'll take them out with us and start with them in the decoy speed. And if we start seeing bucks blaring, then we'll, we'll turn them off and, and pull them out. Um, look, they work better on some species than others. Um, black ducks, hardhead, shoveler, can't seem, like they seem, they, they seem unable to resist them when, they, when they're on. Um, <clears throat> but they can also flare off them. Teal, um, they're sort of indifferent. Mountain duck, I, I can't say. Hunting in a paddock, I personally don't like to use a spinning wing on, on a mountain duck hunt. Um, wood duck, yeah, yes and no. Like sometimes you see them, they want to land on the thing. Other times they don't want to bar of it. So, you know, it is very much one of those things. But, and, and this is why we always take them with us. Some days you just cannot get those ducks to be interested in, in your decoy speed and you put a spinner out and they just get their attention from miles away and, and those ducks are coming in and that's, that's it. They've only got eyes for it. And so that's why, I mean, if it didn't work, I wouldn't bother taking it out every time. But I've seen, <laughs> I've seen it do, I've seen it work so many times that I just can't bring myself to not take it out. Um, <laughs> yeah, true. So, you know, and it, it is. And like I said, you start with it, and if you see one duck flare off it, all right, maybe not one, you give it another go. It happens the second time, take it out, and that's that. And if the ducks are still flaring, then it's something else altogether. You know what I mean? So that's sort of where, where they come into the fore. Um, a bit of background, what they are supposed to be doing is simulating a duck that's coming into land. Um, and it's driven by mallards essentially because they flutter a lot when they come into land. Um, and so you get that flash of white on the wings. Um, and so that's what you've got to keep in mind. They're, they're ultimately simulating a bird coming into land. And so they, they're used to get attention from a long way away. Obviously, as that duck gets closer, um, you know, and there's something in the decoys that's static and just flashing black and white at it. That's when they're going to sometimes get a fight off. So, you know, and but then other times they're going to try and want to land with it. So you you just don't know. Um, but you know, I sort of would use one. I generally use one in a decoy spread. Sometimes two, depending on the size of the spread. And if I was hunting like black ducks in a paddock, I'd have as many as I could. Um, because even you look at black ducks in a paddock, and they tend to flutter. Um, and you get that, that flashing of black and white when they come to land in um, on land because yeah. they have to ease themselves down as, as opposed to on water they can sort of glide in. Yeah. Um, Any specific ones of, you use in particular or particular brands or uh, you know, oh, the ones from the States or what ones do you normally use? Yeah, look, I generally I, I run um, – it's a brand called Mojo um, that's out of the States. And they're all painted up as mallards, and then I sort of hit them with a matte black spray paint and give their, their head a bit of beige, and that's really it, to be honest, just to, to take the colour off because the, the male mallard is, is quite light in colour, so I don't want to... I want to try and make it as, as natural as possible. Um, but, you know, I mean, that being said, you're mixing electrics with water. So I've gone through um, countless... Numbers of spinning wing decoys because you <laughs> know, haven't we? Haven't we all? <laughs> it, it drops in the water and then yeah. you know, and then it shorts out the wires. Honestly, the best thing I, I can recommend um, when it comes to mojos is if if you've fried it, just remove the motor and test it on a battery, 
uh, on, a, on a car battery, and if that works, then put it back in. You can get a little um, cradle that holds six AA's from like J-Car Audio, um, and you wire that up manually, and you can bypass all the switches and everything else. I guess what I'm saying is a lot of the time it's the switch um, or the wiring that faults before the actual motor will. The yep. motors, are, uh, yep. they seem to be quite good. So, um, so, But that's, I mean, that's just personal preference. Yeah, mate. Yeah, good stuff. So let's talk. I want to talk quickly about just decoy spreads, mate. So when you're on the rice, yeah. how many? When you're on, you know, in Victoria, how many will you normally use? And what sort of decoy spread do you normally use? Like for sort of, you know, bringing those ducks in that may be flaring. Do you change up depending on where you are? What do you normally use for say decoy spreads and what sort of scenarios? Yeah. Um, look, with, I like to try and match the hatch, so to speak. So with decoys, I will. Um, I'll use as many as you, as a, as, a, as a rule of thumb, use as many as you can for the situation that you're in. So if I'm hunting big open water, I will put out as many as I have. Um, and if that's, you know, 120 and 80 silhouettes, then that's it. You, you, you go you go big. Um, you know, on your general sort of hunt, to be honest, when I, if I shoot the rice, um, and given the fact that, you know, rice bays are generally small, um, in terms of you know available water in that one bay, um, I don't usually use more than say two to three dozen. Um, but the biggest thing for me with a decoy spread is, and I say I, I look at it this way: you can um, you can call ducks and you can get them to come and have a look at, at your decoy spread and everything else. But it, the decoy spread is actually a funnel to get those birds to be where you want them to be when you want to take the shot. So, you know, you've got a hole or you've got a landing or a kill zone within your decoy spread, and that's where you want the birds to try and land, and that's where you're going to shoot them. So in, in, that, in that sense, um, you can get a landing zone or a kill zone, you know, using 12 decoys. Um, if you've got 24 or 36, you define that shape a lot better and you make it look a bit more realistic. But then, you know, if you have too many, it's just, it's almost unnecessary at that point, for example, if you're hunting on the rice. You know, for me, um, we'll always have a landing zone, and if we're hunting out of a boat, it's generally a, a U-shape um, decoy spread. So, you know, the, the base of the U is, um, say, closest to the boat, and then it, sp- it spreads away from the boat, and you want to funnel those birds into the, the hollow section of that um, decoy spread, and that's where you want to shoot those ducks and that's your kill zone essentially but that's good if the wind's coming at your back but then if the wind is coming side on because the ducks will always have to land into the wind and that's something that you need to factor in to your decoy spread when you're trying to hunt ducks so given that a duck has to land into the wind the other thing they don't like to do is actually fly over decoys so your decoys can be acting as a blocker insofar as the ducks aren't going to want to They'll never fly over decoys to land on the other side of them. If you ran a line straight straight out from your hunting position and a duck was coming from left to right, I almost guarantee it would stop and land on the left-hand side of that line straight out from your position. It wouldn't fly over the top. So you've got to try and keep that in mind. So the other shape that I that we like to use is um, what we call a J or a fish hook um, decoy pattern which essentially is um, the, the shape of a J, um, and you turn that side onto your position. 
so that the duck flies along um, and basically lands inside the, the shank of the hook or uh, I guess the bend of where the hook is, and that's your kill zone. So it's a, it's just a U turned around, if you like. But what I like about the J is that you can you can stretch that shank out all the way up, and you can put a couple out at the top, and sort of you know twos and threes and all the way in, and you build those numbers up till you get to right in front of the hide. So you want those ducks to see the first couple from a long way out, and then when they start heading towards you, you want them to see the bulk of your decoys, which is where you want to shoot them. So you use that, that long shank of the J to actually get their attention when they're further away. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're the two patterns that I like to use. On on the right, to be honest, um, I would still use, you know, a, it's either a, it's a variation of that. It's either the J or the U. Um, and, you know, you always sort of give them a place to land. That's, that's the biggest thing. You, if you just throw your decoys out, haphazardly, you'd want to have a good gap between them so that the ducks feel like they've got room to land. But if you give them a space um, and you create a space or a letter uh, or a shape within your decoy spread, then you know you'll you'll funnel those birds to the kill zone. And that's part of the that's part of the enjoyment of it too is you know it's stepping up from what we were saying earlier and, and trying to be selling the illusion to that duck and getting it to land. And you're not just getting it to come to your decoys, but you're getting it to land where you want it to land. Yeah, mate, what do you do? I've got a question, this is, sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you, just a question, like let's yeah. say you're in the middle of the rice bay, right, let's just give an example, because this is interesting, because again, different than sort of your Victorian style hunting. Now let's say you've got them set up, you're hoping, you're hoping they're going to come from the creek in front of you, you've got maybe your U-shape, they're going to land in the middle. Sounds fantastic, right? But let's say yeah. they come from behind you, the other way, they're coming from the other way, maybe they're on a, a, you know, a water allotment or something like that, you're not expecting them to come from there. How does that, if they've got to fly over you to go to the ducks, obviously they won't land. Is that a major problem? And if so, will they also see you kneeling because they're pretty much coming over your head? What Will that also flare them off too? Or? Yeah, well, basically, if, if that was the case and these ducks are coming from, um, they're not coming from the way you thought, you, you have two options. You either turn around and put all your decoys out in front of you or you walk to the other bank and you rearrange your decoy spread so that they can land into the wind and you've got a hole in front of them. So you don't really want ducks coming from behind you because they will um, they will make you a lot easier. And they any you know, then you're more likely to move. You have to see them. So you're either, you're either going to turn around to see them coming, in which case when they come nearby and, and they go in front of you, you have to turn around and they're going to see you anyway. Um, or um, so they're either going to they're either going to see you see you because they're coming from behind you, um, and the other thing is if if you don't see them and, and you're facing in front, then every duck that comes from behind you is going to catch you by surprise, and so with that, then you've got to work harder to try and get them to come into the decoys. So yeah, definitely you want to try and and be in a position that you can see the ducks before they see you. Because if as soon as you see them, you get down in position and, and you can see yourself. Um, and, and, and that's more to the point too, Jace, like what I was saying earlier. You know, you sit on your knees and everything else. You can stand up and do whatever you need to do. But then when you see ducks coming, get down and get in position and, and can see yourself for that time. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, exactly, mate. Mate, what about decoys? And I'm just looking. I'm on the, I'll give them a free plug, the old gun emporium. Now, what yeah. sort of decoys do they look at? I mean, I've used some crappy ones. I've used some good ones. 
Where are you sort of getting them from? Do you get them from overseas? Do you get them from your local Australian shops? Well, where do you normally get them? Look, we've been we've been pretty lucky, to be honest. Like there, we've, we've had a good range of decoys that have come into Australia. Previously, you know, we just used to get them um, from the states. But there's there's a lot of good brands. Like, and by virtue, I guess the the American market is so huge um, for duck hunters, and they've got so many different types. But they don't necessarily have the same species as us. So, to be honest, um, the main thing for me is quality in terms of a decoy. Um, and when I say quality, it's not so much quality paint job. It's it's quality um, that it's it's going to stand up to a bit of beating around because you know you're throwing decoys in the back of the car and throwing them in a in a decoy bag and they're bumping up against each other and everything else. You just don't want them to break on you and, and snap keels off and and be unusable basically. So um, you know I like I like a harder sort of plastic in terms of the decoys that I in in terms of my preference a harder plastic. I like them to be, um, I do have a bit of a soft spot for what they call a magnum decoy. Um, and a magnum decoy is just a generic term for any sort of decoy that's oversized. Um, for the reason that, you know, if it's oversized, it's going to stand out more and it's going to be seen easier. And that's a big part of duck hunting too. Sometimes the ducks are flying overhead. They're not flaring off you, but they're not coming in. And it's like, well, maybe they're just not seeing the decoys. You can call to your blue in the face, you know, and they're interested, but they just can't see the decoys to think, oh, that's where the sound's coming from. So, you know, uh, uh, that's why I like um, a magnum size decoy. I mean, I've got, I've got a brand of decoy um, called a Higdon, and the Higdon battleships, they're, they're foam filled. You know, you can't, you can't sink them because they're foam filled, so they don't, they don't take holes on and take on water, um, but they weigh a ton. So it's very much horses for courses. Um, but then, you know, on the other end of the scale, we've, we've had the reject shop down here in Victoria selling. Yeah, I've used them. I've used them. Yeah. How long? You'll probably use them once, I reckon, or twice before <laughs> Surprise, they Surprise, some of them hold yeah. up uh, better than other ones. I've, I've had, yeah, I've, right. I've had uh, ducks come into them, you know, but um, they're cheap enough sort of to and, replace. But and, and that's what I mean. Like, they work. I mean, most decoys will work. And if you, if you speak to some of the old boys, They'll tell you they just use milk bottles, milk bottles painted black. You know what I mean? They they'll work, but it's about if you're going to spend that money to buy a decoy, the last thing you want to be doing is spending money every season because the decoy is rubbish quality. So that's where you know. In terms of and and that being said, when when we get stuff from the states, if they're painted as a mallard, I'll hit them with a matte black and a bit of beige on the face, and that's it. Like. I don't. The paint job doesn't have to be. Yeah, quality. Super, super, yeah, super duper. It is nice to hunt over. Like you know, you can get black duck decoys out of the states. Their black duck over there is a little bit different to ours, um, and it is nice to hunt over a nice looking spread of decoys. But at the end of the day, like you know, by the time the ducks can tell that it's not, you know, a Mickey Mouse paint job. It's, it should be like that. It should be like that anyway. Yeah, they're going, hang that's on, right. that's not a black duck. Oh, game over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Unbelievable, isn't it? So what do you normally hit them with? So what, a matte black and then and then what, you just get just a little bit of a colour on them? No, or nothing at all? Just a, a splash on the face or? Matte, matte black and then you can hit them with like just a beige. I mean, I, I paint all mine. Basically, we paint all of our decoys up. If you're going to paint them, I paint them with blackies for the reason that, um, you know, it's easy. And they stand out, you know, a, a darker body with a lighter face. From a, from a fair distance, you can tell it's a, it's a black duck. 
So that's the thing. I mean, you know, is a duck going to notice whether you put one eye stripe or two eye stripes? It's probably not, but, you know, I'll put two eye stripes on it myself. You know, so that's, and that's what it comes down to. Um, but, yeah, it has to be matte black because a shiny black will be um, will be seen by ducks and that a shiny surface will flare birds as well. So even your gun shiny can flare ducks as well. And this is going back to what we were talking about before. Um, but matte black on decoys, you know, it doesn't matter whatever you're painting them. It's always any colour it is, it's got to be matte. Yeah, right, okay. Cause I'm, lo- I'm looking at a picture now, it's just on Google, like, I mean, it, yeah, I look at the difference between the American ones, they've got a little bit of purple on them, you know, our black ducks have got that sort of little bit of green and black on the wing, but uh, no, I see where you're coming from, definitely uh, definitely different, that's a yeah, good tip for people anyway, yeah. Well, it's, it's similar to lures, you know what I mean, they say the same thing about fishing lures, they're, they're designed to catch more fishermen than fish, and it's true, but like that being said... I like hunting. <laughs> I have bought my fair share of, of quality decoys because I like to hunt over over quality decoys and I like to look at a, at a, at a good-looking spread of decoys when I'm sitting there waiting for ducks to come. So, um, you know, I mean, it, it's just personal preference. And you can just the touch the them up if they, you, know, you bang them around and, you know, the matte black wears off a bit. You can just give them another hit of paint, can't you? Yeah, you just give them another hit of paint. Look, and this is the thing, it's not ideal painting your own decoys because... It's hard to get the paint to stick to plastic, um, but you know, as a workaround, like you, you basically got to paint your, de- your decoys every season if you if you start respraying them yourself. Um, but that's part of the effort, you know, and that's that's something you can do in the off season as well. But that's and that's a nice thing, you know, if you're buying um, decoys that are actually like the proper species right away. You don't have to repaint them, and then they'll maintain that colour for a long time. So, you know, there's, there's pros and cons of everything, really, behind it, but it, ultimately it comes down to personal preference. But the main thing is that, you know, if if they do start to show up, and the reason I say it with the mallards is because the mallards are quite light on the back, um, lighter than most ducks we have. So, you know, you don't want to have too many white decoys in your spread, for example, because they do, from far away, they almost look white, and then that looks unnatural to a duck, and that would flare a bird. So that's where that comes into play. Mate, tell us, I guess, just, just quickly, because, mate, we, we, we could be here all night, literally. We could just, you know, we both love waterfowling. I love my, my, my bird hunting in all forms. We've been, we've been going for about an hour and ten minutes. It's crazy. Give us, say, just quickly, say, just say four or five minutes to finish off two things. I want to just say, give the listeners, say, you know, if not two or three quick things they can do to turn them into a better, more advanced duck hunter. And then to finish off, mate, I want a story, you know, maybe from last, yeah, Victoria. It could be a rice story, mate, on either a great hunt or something that we can finish off, you know, time of day it was, summer, winter, whatever it may have been. Tell us a story to finish off about duck hunting, mate. So, yeah, first off, two or three things someone can do, your main points to become a better hunter. Top two or three things, I guess they, uh, you start to get into, like, the one percenters if you're talking advanced duck hunting. But basically, master a duck call. Learn how to, learn how to blow a duck call. And you don't need to blow it excellently. You just need to blow it well. And you can check and out you your YouTube channel. You've done it. I've seen you personally have actually done a few duck calls on there as well. Yeah, well, that's the other side of it. I mean, it's, it's all well and good for us to show us killing ducks. And, and hunting, but, you know, people need to learn as well. And, you know, we've learned the hard way um, through, like, ourselves. Um, 
but you know, it's all about trying to share knowledge with people. And so we we came up we came up with this series called Talking Fowl 101, which you know we've got online, and um, there's a section on there on patterning actually on on patterning the shotgun, um, you know, and that was using steel ammunition. And it's the same. We've got a heap of a heap of calling clips on on how to call. I think it's eight different duck calls um, that you can that you can do for Australian ducks. Um, so master the duck call would be number one. If you can if you can work a duck call reasonably well, your your success rate will increase astronomically. Um, the the second thing I guess is decoy um, decoy spreads, and by that I mean like it, it's more um, understanding the effect of wind and ducks having to land into the wind and also then um, how you set your decoy spread accordingly. And third is probably the easiest, um, easiest but hardest, and that is persistence. Just be persistent and keep trying. Um, and, and the more you do that, the more you go hunting, the better you get, and the better you get, the more you're going to go and the more you're going to enjoy it. So it just sort of drives itself. Absolutely. But they're the, they're the top two, two to three things I would say um, to improve, you know, people's bags ultimately. Exactly, mate. And story. Then, give. Oh, sorry. Go on. Yep. Go on. Keep on. No, and I was going to say, and then the stories. Yeah, <laughs> mate. Story. We want. Yeah, you know, where you've just that because you know you probably get the same thing too. You know when you've been hunting, and I looked for that for one time on the rice field, and last year, I remember it was getting really dark and. I remember I, could, I, sort of, I, knew they were, I knew they were woodies because I could hear them coming in. I wasn't sure where they were, and it was just on dark. I still had de- decent visibility, you know, so I might want to make sure, you know, when they're coming in, I can sort of identify what they are. I can hear the woodies, and there's a lot of woodies on this property. I remember two came in. I think they were coming from my right over to sort of my left, and that's not – I'm not a good at shooting from my right sweeping to the left. I'm a lot better at coming from left to right. Now, these right. two ducks come in. They sort of were coming in pretty high. They were coming across, and – Mate, it was, it was a good distance shot. It was a good distance shot. I reckon probably 45, 50 metres, I reckon. And I thought, okay, I'm, I think I'm pretty confident. I did have full chokes in it. Took you a bit of your advice uh, from the last show that I did over decoys. Mate, walloped both of them in one shot. Even that they both fell down. And I'm talking instantly dead, gone, all right? Yeah. And my mate looked at me and he goes, he goes, shit, that was a good shot. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was the yeah. best. I just, I've never forgotten it even then. It was one of my better shots I've ever done. And he goes, man, that was a really good shot, man. He goes, especially in, you know, and we, you know the light was sort of starting to fade and made just a proud mm. shot. So tell us one of your stories. Yeah, look, um, I'd go last season. Last season was, um, you know, arguably very poor in Victoria in terms of the four bird bag um, for every day by the opening. Um, and look, there just wasn't a lot of ducks in the state, to be fair. Um, and if the ducks aren't there, you can't shoot them. So whether the, ba- whether the bag was 10 or the bag was 2, if there's no ducks around, you're not going to get them. And if there is ducks around, then, you know, 4 or 10, um, you know, they're there to be shot. And that's, that's onto another story now that, you know, how, how the bag should just be at 10 all the time. But um, last year... There just, or this last season, sorry, there just wasn't a lot of ducks around early on in the season. Um, and so I went with a mate of mine and there was a, a lake that was holding numbers of mountain ducks and we're like, well, if we're going to hunt, you know, and, and the bag's full, let's make it worth it. So we, we actually did a fair bit of paddock hunting last year and, and shooting ducks in paddocks. Um, and so we went to this lake um, and got there at first light we didn't take any full-body decoys. 
like nothing, no floating decoys, I should say. We just went to this lake with the whole purpose of seeing where these mountain ducks were leaving and trying to find this paddock. And so we were there having coffee by the lake's edge in the car with the binoculars and trying to find these, these mountain ducks taken off. Sure enough, after about half an hour, the first two flocks get up and we start following them in this car. Eventually, we lose them. Like, we just couldn't get on a road that was keeping us with them. So we lost these ducks. Searched, uh, would have been for a good hour in the last known vicinity of where we'd seen them and, and didn't find them. Anyway, it was it was rubbish. Like, we just, we never found them that morning. Went back to the lake and we thought, right, let's see where they're, where they're actually going to come in from. So we sat on the lake's edge and watched the birds come back into the lake. <laughs> yeah. And then we said, right, well, so now they're coming from that way. So they've actually gone out a different way than uh, they, they went out the opposite side to where we had been waiting for them in the morning. So we sat back in the car and went, had some lunch and everything else, waited for the ducks to fly out in the afternoon. And then in the afternoon, we were able to um, to get a line on these birds and basically found the paddock that they were going to, which ended up being, as the crow flies, it was something like 4.8 K. So, um, you know, we went through a few roads and everything to, to get there, but because they went up high and we could we could hold a good line on them, uh, we were able to find them. So I guess the moral of the story was we went out, started up early with no intention of shooting ducks and really made a day of it in terms of trying to find where the ducks were going. <laughs> yeah. um, eventually, when we did find the paddock that they were going to, because we were on the first couple of mobs that had taken off, there was more bobs coming. So we got permission from the farmer. We ended up shooting our bag in ten minutes. There was it was eight birds between the two of us. So it wasn't it, it wasn't big numbers by any means. But whether if it was a ten bird bag, we probably would have shot our you know those twenty ducks in within a half an hour period. Like there was ducks there to be shot, and that to me that was what it's all about. It's it's about what you make of it. And it's about, you know, overcoming adversity and and being persistent, I guess, in terms of wrapping all that up together and saying, well, you missed him in the morning. You didn't even, you know, and that was purely a matter of saying, well, I'm not even going to shoot on the water in the morning. I'm just going to go and see where these ducks are going. And then missing him in the morning, being persistent enough to stay around the whole day, waiting for, waiting for him to fly out in the afternoon, and then getting the permission off the farmer and, and shooting them probably and getting your bag. And it was a long day for eight bucks, <laughs> but it was rewarding <laughs> enough. And, and that's what it's about, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it is it is rewarding when you do it that way and you go out. And it was really about having a goal and saying, right, we're going to go shoot some mountain ducks in paddocks. And um, and that's what we did, you know? And, and, and that was, yeah, that's, that's what I enjoyed. I don't know. I just I don't know what it is about wing shooting, but I don't know. There's something about it. I mean, not for me, waterfowl. Like I love that too, but just all forms of wing shooting with shotgun. I'm just you know I love my shotguns. Don't get me wrong. I like the rifles too. I like going doing a bit of deer hunting. Yeah, you know, it's not just shooting deer or shooting ducks either. It's you know like when you go with mates and you go away and you know sometimes you have a good one. You have good conversations. You know, good food, meet new people, see new terrain. I don't know. There's nothing like it, man. In my opinion. Well, it's, it is, you know, and I was lucky enough. I, I got sent across to the UK with um, with work. With, with, well, we've all got full time jobs, Jacob, Justin, and myself. <laughs> exactly, um, don't we all? Yeah. And <laughs> and you know, this is this is a hobby. And so anyway, with work, I was sent across to the UK, and I got a mate of mine over there, and he, I'd taken him hunting when he was down here, and um, and he took me hunting when I was up there with him, and um, you know, we shot pigeons and crows in a paddock, and it was the same thing. It was like the principles of the actual hunt were the same as duck hunting, except we were hunting on land 
And, you know, I still enjoyed watching those pigeons come into a decoy spread and watching the crows come into a decoy spread. And it was, it is, it's like you said, it's something about wing shooting um, that sort of, I mean, look, I myself don't know anything but wing shooting. You know, that's, that's what I really love. That's what I'm really passionate about. And that's what sort of brought me to where I am now. <laughs> but, do, um, do you do yeah, any other shooting? Or do you do any other, other than clays and say ducks, do you don't bother the rest of the season? Or do you go on, you know, goat hunts or deer hunts or anything like that? Or no? Oh, look, I'm, I'm not really big on, um, I'm not a big rifle person, if you know what I mean. Like, I'm not very good with a rifle. Um, I'd, I'd go and shoot, I go and shoot rabbits with, with a shotgun. Um, I, I can shoot, I can shoot a rifle, but I'm, I, it's not my choice, if, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like the quail. Um, I like, I like rabbits. Um, I yeah. shoot foxes, you know, as well, but it, it's more just one of those things I, I don't sort of, I funnel so much effort and, and time into duck hunting that I really don't have the time. Like, I'd love to get into deer, you know what I mean? But uh, I just don't have the time to – I spend so much time away from home yeah. <laughs> as it is hunting just duck. So, you know, if I pick up deer hunting, then it means I've got to go duck hunting less. It's yeah. just, there's only so much time you can spend. And I hope you don't mind me saying this on the show. We can edit it out if you say no, but you had a son, so that's good. And, um, you know, hopefully he'll turn into, you know, a budding, you know, you're going to get him into the hunting when he gets a bit older? Yeah, well, he's already, like, I've got, I've got decoys in the, in the toy room. And so, you know, every <laughs> now and again, there'll just be a decoy out next to him and you can have a look at it. And, there's, um, you know, the ornamental ducks that sort of um, sit along the wall and then he's got a, he's got a, a little, um, a thing above his cot that says, "To go to sleep, I count ducks, not sheep." And there's three ducks above <laughs> it. So I reckon I'm I'm trying to get him into it from the right age, like trying That's to start it. him as, as early as he can. But um, you know, I think look, it's it's one of those things. I, that's how I started. I got into it because my old man was into it, and um, and I think he he will basically, well, hopefully, not have any choice. And you know, it's it's one of those things. I would much rather have my son out hunting with me when he's 18 than be running around on the streets and not knowing what he's up to. And I think it's about, it's about that for me and, and, you know, building that relationship um, with your son and, and your friends or whoever you hunt with. You know, the, the relationships that you form with, with the people that you hunt with and you spend time with are, are really valuable. So that's what it's about. Absolutely, man. Right, finish off, plug your business again. If they want to buy duck calls, DVDs, et cetera, et cetera, where do they go? How do they do it? Yeah, cool. So our website is um, au. You can um, you can purchase online. We've got an online shop there. Um, but we've also got a list of stockers that you can go through um, and see, if, especially if you're in Victoria, because that's where all our, our stockers are. Um, if You can go through and, and shop in store as well um, at their places. And then also I'd just like to mention, um, Jace, the... YouTube channel that we've got because we've done a couple of DVDs and we're sort of pushing towards YouTube now um, and it's free and it's easy for us to get content on there and like I said earlier there's those Talk and Fowl 101 clips um, it's more of an educational thing but there is other hunting clips on there that aren't on the DVD so you know stuff that doesn't make doesn't quite make the cut for a DVD we chuck on YouTube um, so if you jump on YouTube you can find Fowl Talkers on there um, you just type in Fowl Talkers and, and all of our videos will pop up and you can jump on there. So that's um, that's us in a nutshell. 
Fantastic man. Sav Manjan joins us uh, from the Fowl Talkers to talk about, of course, our ever-loving passion of uh, waterfowling. Sav, again, mate, thanks for your time. I always appreciate it. Thanks. We'll talk again soon. Thanks. No worries. Thanks, Jay. Really appreciate being on. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.